Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, we are going to talk about global business and startups. Basically, global business for startups. How startups can start in any geography and go global straight away in this age of internet. I have our Paul Singh hosting the show today. He is an expert in entrepreneurship. And he has guest as Venkat Ramanini, who is the CEO of Start Business in America. Our Paul Singh is the CEO of Startup Strategies, where he advises various startups on how to grow their business. He's also an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at Northeastern University. He's a successful entrepreneur himself and has sold three companies and one he took public. He has experience of more than 20 years of working in various areas, including M&A, business development, and marketing. Over to our expert on entrepreneurship, Mr. R. Paul Singh, for today's show. Good morning, everyone. Um, this is co-host uh, R. Paul Singh talking to uh, Mr. Venkat Ramanini. Uh, Venkat is the CEO of uh, start business in America, which exclusively helps foreign companies and non-U.S. citizen entrepreneurs launch in the U.S. and grow exponentially. He began as a young immigrant, was recognized early on by the U.S. government as one of the extraordinary foreign nationals. He self-established himself as a successful entrepreneur and has grown to be a mentor of many other businesses. And it should come as no surprise that Los Angeles Times featured uh, Mr. Ramanini on the front page uh, together with President Obama as part of the U.S. trade delegation to India. He was the lead investor at the prestigious Global Entrepreneurship Summit and together with Ivanka Trump, he represented USA. He currently consults companies from over 25 countries, travels with the presidents on trade trips, works together with Department of Commerce on increasing FDI into the U.S and also present at various global events. So let's welcome Venkat Ramanini. Good morning, Venkat. Thank you for having me today. Um, so Venkat, uh, you know, today the topic we have chosen is to talk about as part of the global business, we're gonna focus this whole podcast series on entrepreneurship as well as startups. And we thought, what better way to start but to talk about um, entrepreneurs, uh, first of all, the entrepreneurs that are outside the U.S. who always are trying to figure out if they want to do business in the U.S., uh, how to do business in the U.S. Uh, so before we get into that, maybe you can give us a quick uh, view about your entrepreneurial journey and what you have seen uh, change over the years. Okay, that's a great start. See, I'm very passionate about helping foreign nationals. Uh, you know, the things foreign nationals are going to be doing in business, sciences, engineering, and technology are critical to the future of the United States. See, just to put things in perspective, more than 40% of Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants and their children. This includes 90 companies founded by immigrants and 114 companies founded by children of immigrants. These companies, they employ over 10 million people worldwide. See, I have started my journey like most of our foreign national entrepreneurs. I've experienced similar changes in life. Now, I attend major events like the Global Entrepreneurship Summit, Select USA. And what I do is I go share my experiences, my learnings, with the hope that it would help some of them grow their own business. You see, since, since I started, technology has changed everything. Any foreign national today from any country with an idea, and determination can build a global business. Where you went to school, your financial background, all that makes less of a difference than ever. So I truly believe in their potential 
And you can say that I'm on a mission to help these entrepreneurs. Excellent. Uh, so I think um, for the purpose of this discussion, we thought we will talk about uh, the different types of entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs that are already in the U.S. and entrepreneurs that are outside the U.S. and then uh, you know the entrepreneurs that are you know, that come in and out of the country, but at this time maybe outside. Uh, so I think uh, there are probably common issues that all of them have to deal with. Uh, so why don't we kind of start with some of the common issues, irrespective of whether you are a foreign national studying or you are a foreign national with a business outside the U.S. or whatever the case might be. So uh, maybe if we can start with those and get a better understanding, and then we will go specifically uh, at each of these See, the way uh, I look at it, um, you know, the foreign nationals, they have to enter the United States to start with. They have to start the business. They have to scale the business. And then they look at exiting the business. Now, entering the United States. So entering the United States as a foreign national is a lot more challenging than to visit United States for sightseeing or working for an employer. There are some hurdles foreign nationals need to overcome because of immigration components. So in this perspective, we could look into foreign nationals as four groups, international students on F1 visas, professionals, on non-immigrant visas such as H-1B. Foreign nationals outside the United States, but they don't own any company. And foreign nationals outside the United States and own a company. So let's say we start with international students on F-1 visas. After graduating from a university, F-1 students can have 12 to 36 months of OPT. It will offer authorization to work for US companies in a job related to their field. But what if they want to become a startup founder? Well, you need a sponsor. So um, when you say as a startup founder, uh, you need a sponsor. So I want to start a company. I just graduated with an F1 and I have a choice of taking my OPT, but even if I want to start a company, I need a sponsor, is it? If you want to work for someone else, that's what typically you can do under any authorization, any work authorization in the United States. Now, if you want to work for yourself, it's a lot more challenging than to work for an employer. But yes, you can start your own business and sponsor yourself if you can show that the degree is related to the business and the position. Theoretically, you could start your own company under H-1B visa. The company must clearly demonstrate the employer-employee relationship through establishing a right to control and having a separate board of directors. See, there are also challenges with whether the startup can actually pay the prevailing wage. And there are things that need to be established to show that the company is actually financially viable. So help me understand, I am, I'm a student. I decided that I want, I want to start a company and the company is in my related area and I, don't, I have not raised any money yet. So can I get an H-1B? Uh, you may do so by presenting to immigration that the company is financially viable and that 
the company has a position and that there is an employer-employee relationship. These are, these are challenges and a, and, and, and a burden is on the petitioner to prove to the U.S. immigration. So I apply the same way to basically uh, get an H-1B. So everything has to start with me first having an H-1B if I want to start a company. Uh, that's one of uh, several options. Uh, there are other possibilities. Let's say there is an E2 visa, and that's for treaty investors. And it's generally for foreign nationals that are from one of the treaty investor countries. And the business must be owned at least 50% by the treaty investor. Though there is no minimum investment, it must be substantial. And typically, it must be at least $100,000 for small businesses. And there is also an O1 for business persons, artists, scientists, and researchers. The O1 is generally available for foreign nationals who have achieved a high level of expertise in their field. We need to show that the foreign national is among the few individuals who have risen to the very top of the field. Here, uh, allow me to uh, illustrate, uh, give a scenario. You know, a foreign national entered the US under F1 visa as an international student. So he had previously carried out extensive research work in you know, energy efficient technologies. So while he was on F1, he partnered with a US citizen and started a US company. And he assigned all his patents to the company. During the initial six months, the company established a soundboard, raised capital, from the investors and hired a few key employees, right? So the company then went on and sponsored the foreign national founder for a H-1B. So all went well. So this helped the foreign national focus on his research in his own company. And they went on to establish manufacturing plants in China and India. So the company's value has grown from zero to $45 million. All of this in less than two years after the foreign national entered the US on an F1 visa. I see. So it is, so it is possible for a person here on a student visa to take this route. And if instead of F1, even if you have a J1, you will still be able to do that. There are differences between an F1 and an M1 and a J1. So you will have to look into uh, what the J1 category is under, mm -hmm. and then we will have to ascertain what's feasible. Now, I also like to add something here. There, is, there are also startup accelerated programs that are catering to foreign nationals that have come up oh, in the last few years. So hold that thought. I think uh, we're going to come back and talk a lot about them. So let's take a break and we'll be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America.
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back. Uh, we have uh, Venkat Ramnini, who is the CEO of Start Business in America, with us today. And uh, before the break, uh, Venkat, we were just starting to talk about the opportunities that students who have an F1 or J1 visas uh, can convert to H1B, and then the different opportunities that are being offered by various startups. So uh, for startups. So before starting there. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the, since all these things are going to apply to H1B, uh, maybe you want to talk a little bit about that before we uh, get into those. Yeah, I'll, I, I also wanted to say that, uh, you know, there, there are these uh, startup accelerator programs specifically catering to foreign nationals you know, that have come up in the last few years. So in addition to the self-sponsorship, foreign nationals may now consider them as alternatives to achieve the same objective. That's, you know, something I wanted uh, like, everyone to, to be aware of. Example. But there are, I mean, you know, as you know, you know, in the Valley, there are a lot of accelerator programs. Uh, traditionally, uh, you would go find companies um, you know, that are started by uh, U.S. citizens or, um, you know, people that are only in the U.S. Okay. Now, uh, there are programs where, one, there's, they're, they're, they're specializing in uh, selecting uh, startup companies uh, that are founded only by foreign nationals those that may be in the U.S. or those that are not in the U.S., but they're, they're, they're trying to build an ecosystem for foreign national-based startups. And, and, and in fact, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work in this area. Uh, so this is something that people ought to uh, you know, be looking out for in addition to a self-sponsorship when they weigh their options. Actually, um, interestingly, there is a venture fund here that I know of uh, called Unshackled uh, Ventures where uh, they mainly invest in companies which are started by uh, foreign nationals who don't have a green card. And they seem to focus uh, a lot on uh, you know, those types of entrepreneurs. So yes, you're absolutely right. That ecosystem is available. It's just a matter of somebody doing a Google search and starting the research and figuring it out uh, which one works best yep. for them. Yep, you're absolutely right. Now, uh, okay, yeah, so back to, you know, you were wondering about the H1B and the professionals. Okay, now, so the professionals on uh, non-immigrant visas, such as, you know, the H1 and the uh, E3 and, you know, okay. So if you're currently in the U.S., on a non-immigrant visa, and probably you're working for an employer. Now you're looking at becoming a startup founder. So the options in front of you, you could do a concurrent H-1B, you could consider self-sponsorship. Again, you know, you could look into one of these startup accelerator programs available for foreign nationals. Okay. Um, 
so you said concurrent H1. What does that mean uh, to people? Okay, so let's say you're currently employed by a company A and they have filed a petition and they have secured the approval, which means the H1B petitioner is a uh, employer A. So you're authorized to work for employer A at the work locations listed in the labor condition application. Now, let's say you have filed uh, or considering filing uh, under uh, the second company where uh, the, the, the H-1B, uh, you know, foreign national has ownership, uh, that company may concurrently, which means in addition to the previous employer, can also file a petition with immigration seeking authorization, which means uh, the, the foreign national is, upon approval, is authorized to work for both, under both companies, at the work locations listed in both petitions. Mm -hmm. so, um, so this is about all the foreign nationals who are already in the US. Um, what if I am not in the US and uh, I want to come to the US and start a company here? Um, so if you can quickly address that, that would be probably important to some of the listeners. Yeah, well, the same options as what I have, uh, you know, enumerated above for international students, you know, the H-1B, the E-2, the O-1 are available for them. Plus, you may also enter as an immigrant, which means get a green card even before entering the U.S. Okay, let me give you a scenario we have where we have helped a foreign national. Okay, here is an individual. He approached us, uh, and and I said uh, he's a renowned photographer, but in a very specialized field of air-to-air -air photography. It basically means you're in a fighter jet taking photographs of another fighter jet. You know, pulsing. You ought to try this one of these days. Okay. <laughs> so he he wanted to grow globally, starting out with the U.S by opening franchises, organizing gallery exhibitions, and publishing books, carrying his outstanding photographs. So great. So we helped him compile all his past work, including his news articles, previously published books, awards, and postage stamps issued by his own country on his name. We filed a self-petition for a green card and secured an approval from the USCIS. So he and his family completed their immigrant visa processing, entered the US to start working on building his business right from day one, because he got his green card before he entered the US. As a foreign national, all this is possible. Uh, so, um, so, you know, I'm assuming you are not an immigration attorney. Um, even though you talk like one right now, but uh, so uh, what's your advice, uh, you know, for a foreign national, uh, when should they seek out and really hire an attorney? Um, okay, an immigration attorney will assess the situation and determines the most appropriate option for each specific scenario. I can offer general information, but cannot offer legal advice. So anyone who falls under any of the above scenarios, my suggestion is that they first list their objective, meet an immigration attorney with the business acumen, develop a clear strategy before moving forward. If someone were to contact me and refer this podcast, I'll put them in touch with our own immigration attorneys and even offer a free consultation. But this is very essential. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's let's kind of move away from immigration because uh, you know the other issues that the entrepreneurs obviously have to deal with is you know I want to start a company in the U.S. What are the rules and regulations for me to start a company in the U.S. if there are any, and where should I begin? Well, starting a company is a pretty straightforward. 
See? So in the US, companies are governed by state laws. And hence the laws vary by state, unlike in many foreign countries where it's all the same across the country. So the companies a business should determine where you want to locate your office. So let's say one state dominates your market. It's best off incorporating there because there's no way to avoid tax obligations of doing business, let's say in California, you know, by registering in Nevada or Delaware. So, so you would want to register the business where you're likely gonna have your business. You could register your company as a branch, an affiliate, subsidiary, or partly owned by a US citizen and partly owned by the foreign company. Okay, so your recommendation is, uh, because a lot of times uh, startups are told to establish the company in Delaware, even though you're doing business in California, because of the liability issues uh, that uh, Delaware is very uh, friendly. So your recommendation is that for a startup, it is important, but not necessarily the key. Well, so you cannot make a blanket recommendation. Uh, it is true that uh, the, 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 the company law is favorable in Delaware. However, you would want to consider your scenario and look into where you're going to be doing business and then determine whether you would want to or you would require to register in Delaware and then come back, let's say, to California and register your company again as a foreign entity doing business in California. Or you would just want to go register the business in California, not register anywhere else because you would only have the business in one state and you would only be filing taxes in one state. So you would have to weigh more than one factor and whether you're raising funds, whether it's important for you to have you know, investors coming in in the near future. So a lot of consideration goes into it, or you would want a very simple structure. You would have a traditional business, and you would just want to have very little compliance that you want to deal with. So these are all the factors that someone ought to look into before they decide on it. Obviously, you know, if you have... We will be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Well, we're back uh, with uh, Venkat Pramanini, uh, and we are talking today about starting business in the U.S. for foreign nationals. And uh, we talked earlier about the immigration issues a little bit. We talked a little about incorporation issues. And uh, maybe this uh, 
particular section, we'll talk a little bit about funding. And uh, funding can obviously be uh, companies need different kinds of funds at different stages. Uh, there are entrepreneurs who start companies without raising any funds. So let's talk about them, i.e. they may be bootstrapped. Uh, maybe they have some small money from their family or from their friends that uh, they are using to bootstrap a company. Um, so Venkat, uh, what issues do you see that they need to be aware of or are there any challenges for them specifically that you have experienced um, in dealing with your other clients? See, not everyone requires an outside investment. So let's say you have determined that you do require venture capital. Well, then you can look into how to go about doing it. So one of the first thing you ought to be doing, if you got money, you must start your business by putting in your own money. If you don't trust your own idea, why should anyone else trust you? Next, ask your family and friends and risk their relationships, it, which means you're putting your relationships at risk. If you don't deliver your promises. So these are things generally that investors are going to look at before they invest, whether you trust your own idea, whether your family and friends trust you. And they're also looking into how much time have you really invested into this idea? Are you, we all want the walkers, right? Not the talkers. So they're gonna ask questions. They're gonna ask specifics. Now, how do you actually go about contacting the investors? Well, cold, cold emails still work, but it's all about how you message a potential investor. We generally say you start off with a compliment saying, look, I've read about what you have said in this article or in this video. And I have had 10 years experience, let's say, working with Intel in machine learning. And I've you know, left to start my own AI company, right? And I'm working on an idea too. Then you just say what your idea is. And then you want to give a link to a website or a video that actually shows the simulated version of how it works. It ought to be damn impressive. And then you would want to close it saying, look, I'm ready to meet you anytime, anywhere. Just give me 30 minutes. But I also do things a little differently. I like to meet people personally. So I generally go to an event. I find a way to go meet people. So last time, you know, when I was trying to back in, you know, when the internet, uh, you know, 90s, you know, thing is going high, I wanted to meet Bill Gross, Idea Lab CEO. I went there and he was so damn busy, he probably started more startups than anybody else back in the 90s. And he, there's no way to meet him. So I went there, I saw that he was there with his family. So I made friends with um, his family, his uh, brother-in-law, his father. So by the time meeting is over, I knew his entire family. So they took him, introduced me to him, there ended. So you would want to find a way what works for you and then build that relationship. That's just what I do. now. There are also challenges uh, for foreign nationals to uh, uh, raise funds uh, from traditional banking. So we, you know, you look into alternative sources. Uh, you know, if it's a really large uh, investment, there are also these EB-5 programs that are working well based on what kind of project you got. You're looking into business line of credit, SBA loans, uh, you know, all these various options. So, um, so, it, so it's fair to say that what you're saying is that if, if you want to raise money, uh, the good old uh, cold calls uh, or cold emails do work, but obviously establishing a relationship with somebody by getting a chance to meet them in person uh, really breaks the ice much better way than any of the others. And uh, we are not going to you know, for this program, go into the details of how to raise funding because we're going to talk about that in uh, some later episodes. Uh, but, uh, you know, suffice to say that uh, obviously you need to, you know, go through the process that 
irrespective whether you are a U.S. citizen or a non-U.S. citizen, you go through in uh, terms of talking to investors, in terms of uh, impressing them with what technology you are building because they are in the business of uh, you know, evaluating your business plans and then trying to make an investment. Uh, so we, so every entrepreneur has to go through that irrespective of whether you are a U.S. citizen or not. Um, so I'm going to switch a little bit. So let's say I am an entrepreneur who uh, has decided that I needed, you know, mainly with sweat equity and a, a little bit of savings that I have on my own, I can actually create something of value. And I don't need to go raise money. Um, so what do I do? I mean, I need to raise, I need to have a bank account. I need to find a way to get money in and so on. So are there challenges or issues I should be aware of if I'm not a U.S. citizen? Well, okay. Like, you know, you, 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 you said, uh, you know, bank account. Well, uh, starting a bank account uh, it's become a tricky situation after the 9-11 uh, scenario. Um, if you are outside the country, it's, it's a bit tricky. If you're inside the country, um, you, you, you won't have the same challenges. But in all these years, we haven't yet run into a scenario where um, we have had, where, where someone could not open a bank account. But there are like different possibilities, like, you know, we go through you know, to help them, even if they're outside the country. We generally avoid a foreign national if they're outside the country, even to come to the U.S. to uh, open a company or to open a bank account. Uh, but just have to be very cautious and you just have to do things right, including uh, securing an EAN from IRS. So our observation is that people generally don't follow the instructions or they're not fully aware of the instructions and they get caught somewhere in this whole you know, process and they're unable to get out of it. Uh, but if you're in the US, um, it's, it's a lot more straightforward to go open a bank account and, you know, and, and whatever else you would need to do after that. So is it fair to, so just to, for the readers who may not be familiar with, uh, can you talk about what EIN is? Yeah, so every entity in the United States, they must secure an EIN, employer identification number, as soon as you register the business before you start conducting business. So if you go to the bank, that's one of the very first things the bank want to see in addition to your incorporation or company formation documents. Um, so a lot of times I keep um, hearing the choice between an LLC and a C-Corp. And I know, again, we're not offering any legal advice, but this is a question that I keep uh, getting asked by a lot of entrepreneurs. Hey, I have an LLC. Is that good enough? Or should I have a C-Corp? Okay. Well, again, it depends on what you're trying to uh, achieve out of it. Uh, but one thing I can tell, uh, investors typically like to see a C corporation. Uh, but, but if you are a foreign company and you are a very traditional company, and you would want to keep things very simple and you would want to have very minimal compliance related issues, then LLCs offer far less compliance than a C corporation. So you would want to look into what you would really require and then make a choice. Okay. Um, so talk to me a little bit about the issues that a startup has to deal with in terms of kind of beyond the banking and, uh, you know, raising funds. Now that you are in business, we got about a minute and a half left. So if you can, 
uh, you know, talk a little bit about what are the other things that an entrepreneur must always worry about? Well, the most important is sales. You know, how do you hire the right people? And uh, how do you uh, bring in the clients? I mean, you know, the, that's, that's the most important thing, right? If you got a company, what's more important than having business, having clients? And, you know, so, so which means hiring the right people is the, a key, one of the most essential parts of growing your business successfully. And that's generally a challenge for foreign nationals because let's just say, you know, you've just come from Bangladesh and you opened a company and then, you know, you want to hire people. How would you convince someone to join you? So that's a very challenge. And these are scenarios where, you know, you would want to consider possibly having at least a uh, mentor or a partner, mm, you know, that's, that's local and can navigate you through those things. Find you the right network. Find you the right advisor. Get you to the right people. You know, tell you the right strategies. And, and that will help you talk to the right people. Identify the right people because there is nothing more important than building an excellent team because that's what an investor is looking for when they look into okay. what you are and who you are. So, uh, Venkat, we'll be back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Well, we are back with Venkat Ramanini uh, talking about how uh, foreign nationals who want to do business in the U.S. Uh, can do the business and grow their companies. Uh, we talked earlier about the immigration issues. Uh, we talked about incorporation issues. Uh, in the last section, we talked about the funding issues. And uh, in this section, first thing we want to talk about is M&A. And the M&A as in I am a foreign company. I want to expand my footprint into the U.S. And I may consider buying a company in the U.S. So what are the issues that I should be aware of, Ankit? Okay. Now, you know, so in, in, in the start, we spoke about, you know, one of the groups, foreign nationals outside the country, the United States, that own a company. Now, how do they enter the U.S.? So typically, L1 intra-company transfer is what they would use. They would go ahead and generally start a business, and uh, they would, uh, you know, typically look into what is their objective. Do they want to come and acquire a U.S. company where they may have clients, 
that they could leverage. And then they want to be able to utilize their operations in their foreign company, whether it is a support operations, manufacturing operations, um, technical operations. So they generally enter the United States. So they look into a company, they look into the acquisition because they're able to leverage their client base in the US and they want to leverage their back office operations. That's one of the very typical scenarios we have seen, whether the client comes out of Asia or Europe or South America. They are leveraging what's already there. So that's one typical scenario because that's a win-win for all parties. They acquire the company, the clients are ready to go, they can build on it. The second scenario is they come to the US to actually raise funds. So, so you know, we have had clients where they came to the US, they've set up a US company, they raised funds, and then they went back and acquired their foreign company. Mm-hmm. So they used US as a way to get cheap capital and then went back, acquired the foreign company and together with the founders and the investors, they have looked into growing the business. That's one um, typical scenario. And and another typical scenario we see is they form a joint venture. You know, there's a company where they had expertise in uh, automated cutting tools, you know, one of the world's best. So what did they do? They, they went to a, a fabrication mm-hmm. company in the United States. They formed a 60-40 joint venture, and together they have established that entity. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there are also another typical scenario we see. The U.S. company has been doing business with the foreign company. And they said, oh, my God, you know, what they're doing is great. And we really want to, you know, look into their service as a part of our key service we're offering to clients. So they went ahead and acquired the company, brought in the CEO from the foreign company, and gave the division to run that in the U.S. Okay. So, so. These are all various ways where a foreign company can enter into the U.S., but they must have a clear idea about what is it that they want to achieve and then go about it. Got it. So um, you mentioned, uh, you know, there are, I mean, I know that for U.S. citizens, there are, a lot of opportunities available to get various concessions from the U.S. government. Uh, is are there any such facilities available even for non-U.S. citizens as well? Well, our observation uh, from working with clients, manufacturing companies are generally receiving a lot of uh, land and power at bargain rates. Okay. Uh, very recently. Uh, an automotive startup that's yet to unveil a single design, they've secured $200 million loan to begin producing electric vehicles. And in addition to local incentives, they've also received $49 million in state tax credits. So, so I mean, there are possibilities, um, even if you're a foreign-owned company. So long as you can bring more employment to that area, you do get some benefits. Yeah, you can. I mean, as long as you show value that you're going to do something to that area and, mm-hmm. and then you sell that idea, you know, and then, and, 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 and okay. And I can tell you that this has gone beyond manufacturing. Of course, you know, we all see that, you know, typically it may happen, uh, you know, if you go to one of those states in the south and then, you know, you open up a manufacturing company, you may get a lot of incentives. But in the recent past, there's a technology company, a large Indian software company. He was planning on building a campus at an old Indianapolis airport site. Guess what? They were offered more than 
hundred million dollars in incentives mm -hmm. okay, that included conditional tax credits, training grants, infrastructure improvements, and real estate. So, so you, you don't have to necessarily be a manufacturing company. You could be a technology company and you could be a service company. Good. Uh, so we are almost coming to the end of the podcast. Uh, but before we go, I just wanted to give you a minute uh, to talk about anything that you think we missed, or if you want to put a quick summary uh, for our listeners uh, of things that they should really worry about. Uh, I'll give you that chance first. See, it's all about growing your business. If you are starting your company at zero, how would you reach a hundred million dollars or how would you reach a billion dollars and what would it take? So we generally believe that you are to build a team, which is people, you are to build a product, then you are to build a processes. The three P's are essential. That's what I would want everyone to remember, the three P's, people, product, and processes. Mm -hmm. And when you reach that magic number, whether it's a hundred million that's your target or a billion dollars your target, then you could look into what's exit strategy. Okay. So uh, with that, let me thank uh, Venkat Ramanini. Venkat, this has been a really enlightening conversation for, uh, and I'm hoping that a lot of our listeners will find a lot of value in this. And, uh, would uh, want to contact you and talk to you a little bit more about it. And we'll add that in the show notes. Uh, and so thank you um, everyone for listening. And uh, we hope to see you next week on the next episode. Um, so thank you, Ramanini. Yeah. Thank you too. It's a pleasure.